Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Well, hey, Jonathan. How are you? I am doing well. It was a big week at Lifeway. We're going to get to that later, but I know it was a big week at Southeastern because one of our favorites, Dr. Ronnie Floyd, was on campus this week. He was. He was. We're recording this on Thursday night, and he was here uh, today, spoke in chapel this morning, uh, had a great message. Um, A couple of quotes really, really jumped out at me from that and were very inspiring. And then uh, he actually participated in a lunch with some of our, uh, some of our students there in the I saw that. That looked fantastic. Yeah, they're in the Hunt Scholars Program, um, which is our uh, five-year BAM Div program, uh, and it's uh, kind of named after Johnny Hunt, uh, but uh, because of being one of our graduates, and so we sort of these students are are in the program, getting those two degrees, and uh, they are by nature of being in the program, they are people who are called to the pastorate. So uh, the director of that program, Dr. Stephen Wade, arranged that lunch so they could have some time uh, really to hear from both Dr. Aiken and Dr. Floyd. Uh, but it was a great sort of time because it was they just kind of sat around a circle. And Were you talked. able to sit in on that? I was. I was. And it, it was just phenomenal. And I, I enjoyed uh, chapel a lot, but really that conversation and just kind of getting to sit there and hear that was the best part of the day yeah. because uh, he was just sharing a lot of his uh, wisdom about leadership, about uh, pastoral ministry, um, talked a lot about uh, how important just ordering your schedule is, th- things like that. I-, I learned a lot, and I just enjoyed getting to see him pour into those students. So it was a great, great day. Yeah, and we, we got to sit in on something similar at the SBC yes. executive meeting a couple months ago. So. Uh, I, I know in, in, in those small, intimate settings, Dr. Floyd is absolutely fantastic. I mean, he's, he's great in big settings, too, but yes. it's really cool. Anytime you get to sit down and, and see and just learn from somebody of his stature, uh, it's just a lot of fun. Absolutely. It, it was a good week uh, all the way around. Mike Glenn was in chapel on Tuesday, and yep. that was the first time I've ever heard him preach. Um, and I thought uh, I thought he was really good. He did a great uh, sermon that was just talking about the importance of rest uh, in the life of those in ministry, and uh, I, w- I was very encouraged by that as well. So, well, there was some other big news this week, non-SBC yes. related, but uh, but North Carolina related, I guess. Yes, uh, it, it was. I guess a sad time for a lot of people on Monday night around here, except for the Duke fans around there. Yes. <laughs> But in my house, so I just always want a really great game, and I definitely got that. And uh, if there is one team in the ACC that Clemson maybe, at least particularly in the 90s, had a pretty strong rivalry with, it was uh, UNC in basketball um, as far as ACC teams. And so in my house, uh, we typically don't cheer for North Carolina that much, Um but uh, but still being sort of a hometown team, it was it was fun to be caught up in the atmosphere and the excitement around here. Uh, but I just wanted an exciting game, and boy, did that one deliver. Great uh, ending to that one with Villanova with the last second three yep. to win it. So fantastic. But yep. uh, also some big news in the SBC yes. this week. Cooperative program giving 6.5% ahead of projection at the mid-year point. Yeah, so of course, as we always do, we're we're just watching – this so 6.5% above year to date projection and 3.09% above uh, the same time frame last year. So I think that's also kind of an important 
piece in all of this. And it's it's really good and important for us to sort of track this as we go. And it should even encourage us in our giving uh, uh, to to see this, that that we want this. We want to be ahead. Yes, yeah, so we do. And, you know, I, I don't want to look too early here, but $99.3 million in six months, that means, you know, there's a slight possibility we could top the $200 million mark in CP giving in fiscal year 2016. Yeah, that would be pretty incredible. Yeah, budget was about uh, $186 million for the year. Right now, uh, we're at 99 You know, it's about $6 million over uh, the 93.25 million that was budgeted. So just a phenomenal effort from the states, from churches, and uh, ultimately from individuals giving through the cooperative program and uh, to our entities and to the mission field uh, across the world. Yes. All right, I mentioned it earlier, big news from Lifeway this week. We broke ground on our new headquarters and also uh, had a big celebration, 125 years of Lifeway ministry and you know so it was a 125th anniversary of lifeway and we had a celebratory chapel service mm-hmm. i saw i saw that on periscope yeah that was really cool that was me doing the periscope by the way um as if you didn't know that uh you probably figured that so, was out based on the account it was coming from yes well when it's tom rainer's periscope account but it's uh someone filming tom rainer speaking i know it can't be him so chances are it's you. Yes, and it was. So uh, we had a great time and uh, had, a, had a celebration at the current campus for the 125th anniversary, then moved over to the new campus, uh, shuttled us over there. Some people walked, chose to walk the four or five blocks over there. Uh, but uh, Amy Thompson ran the day. Um, that name probably doesn't ring a bell to many people outside of Lifeway, but inside of Lifeway, it means something. And Amy did a fantastic job getting all the logistics. It was a, a absolutely phenomenal day. Went over to the new site, did a prayer service and groundbreaking ceremony over there. Came back to the current campus and had a big company-wide lunch with Martin's Barbecue, which is my favorite barbecue here in town. So I, I was very happy by about That's noon That's very interesting. Wednesday. We've never talked about this. I didn't know that Martin's was your favorite. Yeah, by far. By far. Their, their brisket is the best brisket I've ever had in my life, and I've had brisket all over. It is phenomenal. And they're known for whole hog, which is really weird. Right. And I think it's fair to point out, I would probably agree with you. If I'm going to pick brisket, I would go with Martin's. But I grew up on pork barbecue around there, and I do think there are some other places that do pork better. Yeah. Edley's is probably my favorite now. Um, But if you want brisket, Martin's is Yes, absolutely. Wits was the one I grew up with and uh, the most, because it was near me. And little fun fact, my uh, two great uncles started the barbecuity. Oh, really? They did, yes. We have a barbecue in uh, Mount Juliet, Anna Witts and Anna Martins. <laughs> yes, they sold it to the people who, I think the family that still owns it now, but they sold it long, long before I was born. But uh, my one of them uh, drew the uh, logo. Wow. And it's still used today. So. Very cool, very cool. Anyway, so but that's not my that's favorite. That's this week piece. in uh, Nashville Barbecue. <laughs> and in Amy Whitfield's family history. Yes, so. which we can never escape from. Anyway, um, you just have so much fascinating history. So, yes. all right. Well, back to the groundbreaking ceremony. Frank Page came over from the executive committee, joined us for that. And, and just, just a really good day. I mean, it was just one of these things where we get to celebrate the old and look forward to the future. Um, and, and just really a great day for the entire company. So we, we had a great time with that. And uh, kudos again to Amy Thompson for everything she did for that and making that go off without a hitch. 
Well, I trust knowing her that it was uh, definitely a, a day that was well done. And uh, I, I did enjoy from where I sat the pictures of uh, the ELT with their shovels um, in the in the dirt. That was really just, just a neat picture. So I know it was a great day. Congratulations to y'all. All right. And speaking of building sales, the Florida Baptist have sold their building. That was a, a very big thing. And of course, the the major thing you see in that is when they sold it, how much of the proceeds are going to the cooperative program? 51%. 51%. Yes. Basically, Tommy Green is sending a message that 51% of every dollar in Florida goes on. Yes, it's, for it's any reason. cooperative program money. Yes, for any reason. So I, I think that's just great, uh, and it's great to just see over and over again. Uh, in the Baptist Press article that we put uh, in the show notes, he's quoted as saying, Florida Baptists and their churches sacrificially give their cooperative program gifts and, do- and private dollars from their churches, or they sacrificially gave from their churches to construct the Baptist building many years ago. We owe it to Florida Baptist to use this as missions money. He is down the line. He's got uh, a very set plan for for what the priorities are, and he showed it yet again. Yes, he has. And uh, some sad news, speaking of the missions uh, front, uh, IMB's Quiet Forest, Holly Fish Lancaster, passed away this past week at uh, 51 years of age after a battle with ovarian cancer. Yeah, um, this was was sad. I didn't really know uh, uh, of her, but I did see, because we have some friends at Union University, the Finns, and and saw on social media that something, you know, what's going on here and that that they were sort of helping a family that was grieving and then a mention of it. Um, And then seeing who it was and just really a great testimony in this story about her that um, very mission-focused life and a... um, in some ways, just a quiet uh, life of faithful service. Uh, very, very beautiful story, but a tough, tough time for them. Yes, and uh, while the, the last name of Lancaster may not ring a bell to many Southern Baptists, her maiden name of Fish surely does. Uh, she was the daughter of the esteemed professor from Southwestern, Roy Fish, uh, Fish, probably one of the greatest evangelism, if not the greatest evangelism professors in the Southern Baptist Convention. You know, I didn't really know that about him or kind of his uh, stature because I, as I've said before, I kind of came late to the game on uh, S- Southern Baptist life. But uh, not not long before he died, uh, he actually did a project for Lifeway while I was working there, and I will never forget uh, that he had a question about it. And he just picked up the phone and called the office directly, and I answered the phone because that you know was where. That's what you did. And, you answered phones. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's all I did. Um, and uh, at, by that point, I had kind of realized a, a bit more about exactly who he was and the impact he had made. And I just couldn't get over that. And I think it was just kind of a question about how to email something or whatever. But he was a, uh, it was a, just a delightful interaction. And he died not long after that. Um, but even just in that small thing, I was really touched by him. And so uh, this is... Uh, his daughter, and it looks like she had a, a great impact as well. Yeah, and a small little side note there, Roy Fish was my wife's evangelism professor uh, wow. when, when she was in school at Southwestern. That's pretty incredible. Great. That's a that's an experience to have learned from him. You are correct. And uh, moving on now, Montana Baptist, we've, we've seen some executive director announcements and retirements and new executive director. I, I know there, I think there's one coming as well soon. I want to wait on the, that news. But uh, Montana Baptist are seeking a new executive director. This is not an easy one. You know, we uh, we talk about state uh, 
positions. But when you're thinking about a place like states like you and I are in, Tennessee, North Carolina, um, there's quite a bit of action. Uh, Montana is different. It's like it, this is about about 135 churches, and the the state is so big. The churches are it's the are fourth be, largest state in the union. Yeah, and so you get 135 a, churches. Yeah, and imagine how far those churches are from one another. Um, so our traditional way of thinking about a state executive uh, coming from the South is really different in these uh, frontier states. Um, so that's going to be an important position, and it's going to need to be the, the right person uh, to be able to minister to, to help and serve these churches uh, where, it, where the work they're doing is not easy at all. Chad Scarborough at First Baptist Shelby in Montana is quoted in the article and just gives some stats here that I had no idea about. There's only about 10 churches in the entire state that average over 100 people. My goodness. On Sunday. We probably have here in Nashville, we probably got more than 10 that average over 1,000 a week. Yeah. Actually, I could probably rattle off 10 right away. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got dozens of churches here in Nashville that that average over 1,000 a week just in this one city. Right. Um, So it's a very, very uh, different type of area than what we're used to here in the southeast especially Uh, but they are looking for a new executive director fred hewitt last month announced his uh retirement effective this october so uh if you're interested in that there's a link at baptist press that gives all the information about the job and they are receiving applications throughout the month of april and may yes and speaking of new positions there was an announcement Yes. Uh, Wachita Baptist University, they have been uh, looking for a new president uh, for some time, and they unanimously elected Ben Sells to be the 16th president uh, of Wachita. Uh, that's in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, and, uh, and he comes from Taylor University in Upland, Indiana. That's where Chris Martin went that to school, That is where Chris it? Martin is, because yes. he saw this news today, and he says, how do you say this name? <laughs> O-U-A, I'm like, Washita. Washita. Like, oh, Washita. No. okay, well, I know the new president. Yeah. Because he, he knew him from being at Taylor. Yes. Uh, I think he actually knew uh, Ben Sells while he was at Taylor. So Dr. Sells will come to Washita Baptist and begin his presidency on June the 1st. Yes, and he comes uh, from Taylor where he was the vice president for university advancement. So he has a lot of experience in higher ed and uh, fundraising, th- things like that. So... Uh, very exciting time um, for for Washita. All right. And speaking of presidents, Amy. Yes. We have our interviews now beginning this week with the SBC presidential candidates. We have an interview with all three candidates right now, the, the three that have been announced, J.D. Greer, correct, Steve Gaines, and David Crosby. And uh, we have those already in the can. Had a chance to talk to J.D. in person when I was actually in Raleigh mm-hmm. uh, and got Steve and David Crosby on the phone uh, later on after their announcements. So we're going to play these interviews in the order that they were announced. This week, we will have J.D. Greer's interview. Next week, you will have uh, Steve Gaines' interview in the following week on the 22nd. We will have the interview with David Crosby. If any other announcements come, we'll slot them in afterwards as best possible. Yes, if we can get them. And um, and, and as we've said before, I- any other uh, officer election announcements, if there are nominations for first vice president, second vice president, I think it's good to hear from those folks too. Yep. So, uh, so any announcements that come, we will be reaching out to those individuals uh, to see if we can get them on the podcast. Yeah, so if you want to be on the podcast, start announcing those <laughs> positions. Because if you announce the week before the convention, like last year, it's not happening, folks. It's going to be so pretty tough. 
it's it's a little busy for me and Amy the week before the oh, convention. Oh my goodness! So uh, so if you if you're going to announce for first or second vice president, please do that soon. Yes, the week before is not quite as bad for me because most of the things that we have to do have to be sent off a week before. So the week it's like a, the lull, the calm before the storm. Yes. So well, it, it's not for me. So. Yes. Uh, anyway, but here is our interview with J.D. Greer, the pastor at Summit Church in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Joining us this week on SBC This Week is Pastor J.D. Greer. J.D. will be nominated this year for the presidency of the Southern Baptist Convention when we convene in June in St. Louis, Missouri. J.D., thanks for joining us today, man. Thank you, Jonathan, for having me. You are uh, to be nominated for the SBC presidency, and you know that comes with a, a one-year term. We'll talk about a little bit some of the duties here in a minute. But just uh, as you look at the SBC, what do you see as the biggest challenging facing the denomination at this time? Well, I felt like there were four things that God put on my heart, um, you know, when I was approached about, you know, possibly serving in this role. Um, I'm a big believer that, you know, God speaks through his church. And so I had several older leaders in our convention just said, Hey, we really feel like, you know, um, you should at least put your name in. And, uh, I looked at what God was doing in my heart. And there were four kind of, I don't know, passions or things that I pray for, for the SBC on a regular basis. Um, the first one was, uh, you know, I pray that we would, continue this deepening of the gospel as both the center of our theology and mission, that the gospel is not merely, you know, a prayer that we get people to pray, but it's it's just the it's the source of everything in the Christian life. And there's been, in the last few years, there's been a wonderful, I think, um, renaissance of that. Uh, and I want to see that continue. The, you know, the second thing was a, a posture toward our culture that's filled with grace and truth. We don't want to compromise one iota on what the Bible says, but you know, we Christians ought to be known for our love, our excessive love for our, our neighbors and not just um, not just what we tell them is, is wrong, but uh, grace and truth. And the third thing uh, was that I felt like we needed a new era of engagement in the SBC. Um, you know, I, I think that it's, you know, I don't look at my running as any kind of official passing of the baton by any means, but I think you got a younger generation that needs to, that needs to, to in a sense, own responsibility for what's going on, that not look at it like, well, this is our forefathers, this is what they're done. But, man, these 1,000 missionaries that just came home, that's our responsibility. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, understanding that God is doing new things in churches, and we need to open up more pathways for people to give and get involved. Then the last thing was uh, just the continued elevating and platforming of diversity within our convention. Uh, you know, we still feel like uh, the Southern Baptist Convention does not represent um, really where Christianity needs to be in, in, in Baptist life, you know. And so, uh, anyway, those are the four things that God's put on my heart, and, and there were things that um, that I felt like, well, God gave me to pray, and it, it seemed like maybe this was an opportunity that God was saying, at least allow yourself to be um, put forward in nomination, and if I give you the chance to lead in these, that's what you should lead in. Yeah, you mentioned the thousand missionaries that just came back, or missionary personnel, not all of them were missionaries, uh, but the past six months have been a time of great concern for Southern Baptists. Uh, because of this, how can pastors lead their churches well in light of this missionary force reduction? Yeah, I mean, it's we can't be okay with it. I mean, just like we can't be okay with the fact that um, the population in America is growing faster than the rate at which we're planting churches. So the percentage of people in evangelical Baptist churches are gonna is going down. Um, if we ever get okay with that and think, well, we still got our institutions and we still got our networks, then. <laughs> we should all resign. I mean, God gave us, he didn't give us the great commission as a way of, you know, I want you to manage a slow retreat. You know, he said, I want you to, you know, charge the gates of hell. And so um, I think we should be okay with it. And I think we ought to say, all right, what is it that we need to, to do? Uh, God's sovereignly in control of, you know, 
of these missionaries coming home, but you know, we our, made our church look at our budget and say, where else can we give? And I think at all levels, we got to say, what are we? Are we giving sacrificially? I, one of the things that I've really tried to lead our church in is to say, you know, faith-filled generosity means giving away more than you feel like you can spare. When you're giving away of the excess, that's not faith. That's kind of that's just you know giving up the excess. Well, we want to give away our best resources, our best people, as well as a, a, a larger portion of our budget to seeing um, missionaries, both domestic and international, supplied well. Yeah, and you mentioned the giving. CP giving and Great Commission giving are pretty much at near all-time highs. Uh, we expect the Lottie Moon Christmas offering this year to be the highest ever. Uh, how can we raise not only the giving, though? We, we Our giving seems to be raised, but how do we encourage and and raise church engagement on a national level. We we have meetings every summer. We see fewer and fewer people at these meetings. The engagement doesn't seem to be there. The people are still giving, but engagement seems to have waned. How do we spur on greater engagement from local churches? Well, first of all, praise God for the giving. I feel like a lot of churches have responded well, you know, to, to what's going on. But I think, um, you know, so <laughs> I guess there's a couple of, of different strategies. One is you can say what you've always said and just say it louder. And, and and that has a place, you know. Let's hey, let's let's give more. Let's you know sacrifice more. We need to do that. But we also need to recognize that you know, I mean, American society changes rapidly. How we network has changed over the years. Um, how we uh, you know uh, what kind of meetings we go to, and what captures the the heart of you know what we give to. And I certainly certainly do not want. Um, I mean, the, the cooperative program has been. Uh, you know, the strength of the SBC for years, it's still our primary way of funding the Great Commission, you know, and should be. But we need to recognize that there are other ways now called Great Commission giving um, that, you know, churches are giving to um, these things. And we need to celebrate that. You know, we need more giving overall and not less. And so I think it's it's not just, um, it's not, you know, putting down a kind of a one size fits all. It's saying, let's see CP giving um, um, elevated and celebrated. And let's see Great Commission giving celebrated as well. I, I, I don't, you know, I'd be very hesitant to say, uh, you know, our church is a model by any means, but I, I think the way that our church has tried to process this, I could commend to other churches. We voted, you know, three years ago, um, we voted as a church to increase our cooperative program giving by about two and a half times over five years. Um, by God's grace this year, we were able to do it, you know, two years early. We just, in January 1st, we just said, let's, we're going to go ahead and get to that, that place we want to get to. Well, at the same time, we have um, increased, you know, our great commission giving, and that's up about 10% of our church budget goes into these Great Commission causes. I think we need to not discourage that and say, oh, no, it's, you know, it's, there's only one way to give. I, I think we, we ought to celebrate what God is doing and adapt the structures of the convention to, um, to be able to accommodate the new things God's doing in the churches too. Yeah, but it's not only the giving. Y'all have also been one of the largest sending churches most, you know, for IMB and for NAM with church plants. Yeah. Well, you know, part of my calling uh, to be a pastor— uh, began as a call to the mission field. And when God never relinquished the call to the mission field, I served with the IMB for a couple of years um, before I became a, the, the pastor of the Summit Church. And um, he never relinquished that call. Uh, and I feel like the way, the way that I serve the mission field now is by raising up planters. And so uh, we just made that kind of our, you know, the way we say it is it's it's sending capacity that's our highest aspiration and not seating capacity. And so, yeah, we've, you know, we've just said, um, you know, right now we have 149 of our members who um, are with the IMB. There's about 200 and I think 30 that serve on one of our church planning teams overseas. Total, um, you know, every year we send out about 100 of our members to go and plant. We usually we plant about four churches a year, which means 
you know, for us raising up a team and sending out, not just sending money to it. Um, and, you know, over the last, you know, um, seven or eight years, we've planted 26 domestic churches and 162 international. Well, let's turn to the assignments and duties of the president of the SBC. The biggest assignment of the president is committee appointments. Now, in the event that you are elected as president of the SBC, what would your strategy be regarding these appointments? Well, I think obviously you got to listen to people, um, and uh, there's a lot of great leaders in the SBC who you know you trust and recommend, and you're going to take those recommendations. I think the criteria for them is they got to be people who are committed to the Baptist faith and message, who are involved in in uh, you know in Baptist churches that are you know uh, not just in name but a part of the of the mission. Um, you know, I think uh, you know I, I really feel strongly about the Baptist faith and message being our doctrinal criteria. I, I don't think. You know, the Baptist faith and message to me is is one of uh, it's an ideal doctrinal statement because it's narrow enough that it keeps us unified about the main things. But it's you know it's kind of broad enough. Yeah, it's still that a big it, tent. Yeah, it's still a big tent. And so I don't you know I think adding a bunch of stuff, other stuff to it, like well you know you, you got to also believe this, whether it's Calvinism or non-Calvinism or you know something like that. I, I just don't feel like that's a helpful. I feel like we as a convention have said this is our doctrinal unity. One quick question on the Baptist faith and message. Do you believe that it needs to be modified in any way? Uh, no. I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's great. Um, as a, you know, there are, yeah, I mean, I, I know that every 25 years you, you kind of want to come back to it, look at the words and say, you know, these words reflect accurately. Um, part of my PhD um, work at Southeastern Seminary was on looking at the history of creeds, and basically what you you do is every about twenty or thirty years you got to look at who's figured out a way to smuggle the you know in alternate agendas under that creed, and you got to clarify. So, but um, anyway, so I'm not saying we'll, we'll, that'll be it for eternity, you know. Yeah. But but I think it's but right very, now we're for right now I'm very comfortable. Um, yeah, so that'd be it, and then people that that get the mission, you know, it's not not enough to believe right. There's there's also let's you know it, we're a missional organization or an organization committed to mission, and you want to see people who believe in that and demonstrate it. Yeah, and also one of the other roles is to to run the annual meeting. Uh, we we've seen some different annual meeting styles the last couple of years. Dr. Floyd has changed things up, which I personally feels for the better. I, I like the flow of it a lot better. We've talked about that on the podcast. How do you see the annual meeting? Is that is that something that you um, look forward to every year and, and just the, the different expressions that we find ourselves with, you know, throughout those couple of days. Yeah, I, I've enjoyed it. Been the last several years in a row. Um, you know, there certainly has some points in it that feel a little slow, but for the most part, hearing the, the different reports and being encouraged. I mean, I, I, I have a great respect for our the fact that we are, are not a hierarchy led system. That we're you know, there's there's open business. Uh, you know, there's, there's some great preaching and stuff. I really appreciated, Ron, you know, Pastor Ronnie's prayer service uh, last year. I thought that was kind of a probably the highlight of the you know the whole thing. And so I, I'd like to see a lot of those things continue. I think Pastor Ronnie did a great job of bringing in diversity and that being. And so you know, I want to see those things continue. Uh, you know, what does it look like going into the future? I mean, we, that's just every every couple of years we got to say, are we hitting the target we want to hit? And I think Pastor Ronnie's asked a lot of great questions, and we need to ask a lot more. All right. And besides the duties prescribed by the SBC bylaws that we just mentioned, what else do you see as the role of the SBC president? Well, you know, you're kind of um, <laughs> the people's re- representative. The, the pastor's the, the Southern Baptist Convention is a pastor-led convention. It's not an agency-led convention. It's a, it's a convention of churches. And so, you know, if you have a pastor that's serving in the role of president, I think he's, you know, wants to be there to, you know, share experience with other pastors and and call them into, you know, engagement. I certainly think that with a a young family and a, you know, 
a young church with you know a lot of uh, uh, demands um you know this for me is not going to be able to i'm not gonna be able to you know do a full-time job with it but that's not what it's designed for so i hope to be able to um network with uh southern baptist leaders at all um at all levels but you know really develop relationships with pastors and say man let's cooperate together for the purpose of the great commission all right and finally dr floyd has stressed the need for unity evangelism and prayer over the past couple of years during his presidency how do you plan to build off of that as we move forward well, yeah, it's well stated. Unity, evangelism, and prayer. There are many things that I feel like Ronnie has, Pastor Ronnie has teed up, and we just want to take them. I mentioned the diversity already. Um, Pastor Ronnie hungers for revival and for praying for the, you know, the falling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's uh, that's very close to my heart. Um, you know, just unity around the gospel. I think you know Pastor Ronnie has, has done a good job of avoiding you know kind of extremes on either side. And so I feel like we take those things and say, you know, at its core, the Southern Baptist Convention is an organization of churches that is unified around um, the Great Commission. The, you know, our God, our, our standard is the Baptist faith and message, and our focus is the Great Commission. And we can disagree agreeably on a number of different things, but we can come together and join hands, join you know, resources, join people, and we can pursue those things. One final question. You, you mentioned diversity a couple times. I didn't have this question down, but what do you? How do you see diversity playing out in the role of a church, like in leadership? Is that something that needs to be, you know, kind of come organically? Is this something that needs to be intentional? What does what does diversity, you know, increasing diversity in churches look like for the average pastor out there listening? Yeah, that's that's a great question. That's probably been the thing that has been we've wrestled with now for five or six years, and it's not you know it's not a wave a wand or you don't just declare it one Sunday and then the next weekend it it happens. Um, it, it's definitely got to be intentional. Uh, the way we say it is we want to we don't want to host multicultural events on the weekend we want to live multicultural lives and so there's a lot of relationship um, uh, but you know the other thing you see is that um, when there are um, you know people who are non-anglo in leadership that tends to invite you know others into that process and so we've tried to be very intentional as a staff you want to avoid obviously tokenism like let me just find you know somebody and put them on stage but to say hey let's let's get ahead of this and let's let's ask god for some leaders let's 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 groom some leaders and so what we found is that as we we have put leaders into place um, it's you know it's really multiplied in the congregation i mean i when i look at the amount of people of non anglo ethnicity that are coming to our church now compared to five years ago, it's it's staggering to me. And a lot of that is because of intentionality. Yeah, and you guys even have a Spanish service. We do, yes. And and, and the, the, the pastor at the Hispanic service is one of our pastors that is on the executive you know, type of, of, of team. He's not somebody just doing something over there. He's integrally involved yes. in, in what's going on. In the at highest the levels of the leadership. Level. That's right. And half of our campus pastors um, at the church are non-Anglo, and about half of our worship staff. And that, 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 that affects the personality of a church. And it's, you know, I, I, I've been places before, I'll, I'll say this last thing, where I was the only guy, the only white guy. Um, in the, and I remember feeling uncomfortable in, in there. Not because anybody was judging me, but just feeling like I'm the only person like this. And I remember thinking one time when I was at a, a service like that, that if one person who was white had just walked across the stage, I would have felt, it would have maybe been like, okay, you know. Um, well, I feel you like felt I, like you belong. I felt like I belong. I felt like I was affirmed. Yeah. Well, I feel like many of our um, Hispanic, Asian, Arab, uh, African American uh, people in our churches feel the same way. It's it, it's not enough to just say it. You, you they, we want to see others like us and say there's a real a, a real unity here that goes beyond just cultural similarities. We're, we're not after one uh, sameness. 
We're after oneness, and oneness means oneness in diversity. Well, J.D., thank you again for the time today, man. We appreciate it, and I look forward to seeing you in St. Louis. Thank you. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, And uh, again, I think this is going to be a great opportunity uh, overall, just hearing from these candidates, a great resource for all of us uh, who will be attending the annual meeting this year. And I look forward to hearing uh, the next two. Be sure to catch those the next couple of weeks. And I think after this is done, I'll probably put up a blog post at SBC this week of just the three interviews. So if somebody wants to go and hear all three of them before the convention, we'll have a post at SBC this week with all three of them all in one post. And you can listen to all three if all you three. so choose. And, and, and not send have those to go, on. And not yeah, have to and, go through all the other stuff. We'll just excerpt just the interviews right. for you. Except our witty banter is really good. So yeah, that's worth the price our, of admission alone. Absolutely. Just ask Trevin Wax. All right, that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week. This week in SBC history, Amy, blow our minds. Well, I think it's very interesting that we had the conversation earlier where we talked about uh, my family history and uh, Nashville history, all of that, because everything's going to intersect with this. Uh, We're going to go back to 1948. Okay. Um, April 6th, uh, it was announced that the Tennessee Baptist Convention had acquired the property of the 100-bed Protestant Hospital in Nashville, Tennessee, and announced plans for development of a $3 million Baptist Medical Center. Whoa. Yes. So the Protestant Hospital was about 30 years old, uh, had been operated under a board of church leaders across denominationally, and so uh, it was there. But then that group sold it to the TBC, and uh, they decided to it, to open it and to make a plan for other things, doctor's office building, nurse's home, drugstore, uh, even a small hotel. Uh, at that point, it was the third hospital that the, that the Tennessee Baptists were operating. There were ones in Memphis and in Knoxville. Now, later uh, in, I think, 2002, St. Thomas acquired that. So now it's actually um, St. Thomas Midtown. Um, but the reason this jumped out at me is because I was born in Baptist Hospital. So was so, my third son. Yes. So Nashville history, Southern Baptist history, my history, everything all together. And it all started this week in SBC history. That is fantastic. That is amazing. I did not know that. Uh, and w- the one of the odd things about you mentioned that the sale to St. Thomas happened in 2002. Well, Micah was born in 2012. And ah. we, we had just moved to Nashville. Yeah. Big sign on the thing. What did it say, Amy? Baptist, Baptist Hospital. Baptist Hospital. Yes. Not St. Thomas. Yeah. So basically they had joined St. Thomas because St. Thomas had sort of a regional health system, which St. Thomas is actually the hospital that my family has used most of uh, my life but uh, for different things. But Baptist joined their regional health system, and then they, but they didn't change the name until 2013. So... Baptist Hospital, very important uh, to you, very important to me, um, and very important to Tennessee Baptists and, by extension, Southern Baptists. So there you go. Very cool. Very, it's neat how all that tied together. So, yes. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to our resources of the week. And, Amy, your resource of the week is? All right. I'm going to pull one that we've actually talked about before, but it's been a while, and I'm in the middle of it right now. Yeah, and it wasn't uh, it your is- resource of the week before. That's correct. So I get to kind of pull it back up. So uh, it's uh, Women on Life, A Call to Love the Unborn, Unloved, and Neglected. It's been a while since we talked about this. Uh, It is actually uh, published by Leland House Press, which is an arm of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And uh, Trillian Newbell, who is on the team there, uh, is the 
editor of this book, and it basically is a collection of essays and articles that just cover a bunch of topics, really aiming at what it means to have a whole pro-life ethic. So beyond just sort of the the issues that we think about very quickly, um, and certainly things like crisis pregnancy centers and and uh, the the uh, abortion. Uh, discussion uh, that's addressed in there, but also things like uh, children with special needs, adoption, foster care, uh, caring for women with, the, with high risk pregnancies, um, teenagers, you know, caring for single moms, the elderly, all kinds of things about what it means that if we say we're pro-life, what that should uh, extend to. And so uh, I am part of a, a book club with uh, my church here that we meet uh, once a week and uh, just a, a small group of ladies and we're going through this. And I've been in a lot of book clubs over the years. This is the best book I've ever gone through with a group of people because it sparks so much conversation. Um, and I just love it. So even though we talked about it, I just had to bring it to the surface again because I can't say enough about it. All right. Well, my resource of the week is the Replicate Breakfast at the Southern Baptist Convention. Oh, yes. Now, Amy, you and I have heard a lot of chatter over the past couple of months about the desire from people from around the Southern Baptist Convention to actually hear from the candidates, uh, the presidential candidates, before uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, we're providing that, you know, obviously through these interviews at SBC this week for the next three weeks. Uh, But at the same time, you know, that's not an in-person kind of thing. So Robbie Gallaty has pulled off a coup. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Robbie and his team at the Replicate Ministries have got a breakfast on Tuesday morning that will feature David Platt, J.D. Greer, Johnny Hunt, and Steve Gaines. And uh, those four gentlemen will be talking and talking about evangelism in the SBC. And we'll probably hear a lot about uh, the plans and ideas that they have for the future of the SBC, especially as it relates to evangelism. That's something Robbie's passionate about, something that the team over at Replicate Ministries, which is Robbie's ministry, has really done a lot of work on. So Tuesday morning at the SBC, the $15 breakfast, Replicate Ministries will be hosting that. You a breakfast, and you've got a panel with Steve Gaines, J.D. Greer, David Platt, and Johnny Hunt. Yeah, this is a great opportunity, and uh, I'm sure there are going to be more things coming to the surface of places that uh, the candidates uh, will will be talking that week. Um, and I, I think that's a good it's it's a good opportunity uh, just to hear their heart and to to see them lead uh, in those uh, moments as they as they discuss things. So I'm very excited uh, that that that's going to be happening. Yeah, it should be a good event. I'm looking forward to going to it as well. Uh, I've got the um, you got that breakfast on the Tuesday morning. We're going to talk about a full preview of the SBC, everything going on, but I know we've got a Lifeway breakfast that week. And then on Wednesday, I know you and Nam are partnering for a women's leadership breakfast. Uh, lots of good stuff. We'll go into it more uh, as the days get closer. I am also looking forward to, and we haven't scheduled it yet, but whenever the the time hits for us to start talking about uh, St. Louis itself and, and, uh, Think through. I'm, I'm assuming that uh, Philip Bethencourt at the ERLC is going to come through for us all again uh, with a restaurant guide. So if if you are listening, uh, Dr. Bethencourt, we're counting on you. And yes. uh, please don't let us down. 
Yes, I'm sure he's planning that. That's been a it's been a, his thing now. We we should have him. We should have him on interview. We should have him for an interview to talk about this exact thing. Exactly. I'll work it out. And the ERLC, we could talk. You could talk about some of that stuff too. But <laughs> this is like he's oh yeah, that that other thing. But we want this to talk about the important stuff, the food. This is what he does. He is he's like our guide for the entire uh, convention. So uh, so we're we're anticipating that. With yeah, he's the one that that showed the light of the pancake balls last year at Catalina's. Oh, really? That were just some of the best things I've ever had in my life. So yeah, I mean, and, I, and I'm. I missed that because I couldn't stay away from that market. I oh, did yeah. not. I, I did that not stray really very far from the market. We've uh, talked a lot about food on this podcast this week. Yes, we have. All right. We talk about food a lot on this podcast in general. And, maybe we and should not start on the another. Podcast. Maybe we should start another podcast that's just us talking about food. We are Southern Baptist. Yes, we are. <laughs> All right. On that note, we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>